Sweet. Hey, uh, hey everybody. My name is Adam Hutchison. Uh, I'm a physical therapist writing for The Undroppables. I really want to give a shout out to Space Ghost Force and his entire team for having me on here. I'm really excited to be here. I listen to a lot of these shows, so to be on the other side of this is a little bit surreal. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to have a good time. we got a lot of good questions. I'm going to try to get through as many as I possibly can here to answer your guys' questions that were nice enough to ask them. So uh, I think we'll just, without further ado, just hop right in this and get in, in the show. So first question we got from Jman1406 says, I've got Debo on my team everywhere. How many games is he likely to play? Is he likely to be at full effectiveness this year? So this is a good question, uh, Jman. And I have a ton of Debo myself in Dynasty, and I was pretty bummed out by the news. For the first part of your question, how many games do I expect him to miss? I don't know if I have a perfect answer for that. Um, I think there's a decent chance that he's out all of September based on some of the news that I've seen out there. You know, I wrote about this on the Undroppable site, and I talked about how at the six, five to six-week mark, I wanted to start seeing Debo run and move around a little bit. And instead of that, we got a report from the 49ers, John Lynch, saying that he wouldn't be surprised or he expected that Debo was going to miss a couple games. We just saw a video surface not too long ago of him moving around a little bit, but that's more closer to that seven, eight-week mark. So I think there's a good chance that if he misses all of September, that's three games. Depending on how he's doing later on in his recovery, I think he's there's a decent chance. I wouldn't call it a, you know, a sure thing, but I think there's a decent chance that he maybe starts on the PUP to start the season, which would mean a minimum of six games missed if the season starts on time. And that's a big if. We don't know how COVID-19 is going to affect anything, if the NFL is going to start on time. I'm planning as if it is. Uh, and if it does, then I would expect him to miss somewhere in that three to six uh, ballpark range of games. I don't think, to answer the second part of your question, is he likely to be at full effectiveness? I don't think we're going to see want, get to see the Debo that we were expecting to see in 2020. Um, he might have some big games, I think, here and there, but his injury could linger a little bit of, uh, based on where he's had it and depending on the hardware that he's got in his foot. So I would just Take it with a grain of salt this year with Debo. Um, I, like I said, I'm a big fan of Debo. I have him in a couple of dynasty leagues, my main dynasty leagues that I play in, I have him in. So the, the injury was not great, but I think he, he's definitely going to play this year. What, what we get out of him, you know, but just be cautious and uh, understand. And um, if he's, if he has not a great year, I think I'll be there in 2021 to buy him on the, on the bounce back. All right. Next question I got here is from Tart. Uh, is T.Y. Hilton's injury history a cause for concern this season? So I will say yes, um, just because he's had some recurrent issues here with the hamstring injuries. Um, the severity of those injuries, I think, varies, um, and you need to take that in consideration. I think for T.Y. Hilton, he's a veteran here. He's dealt with these these issues before. So he's come out recently and said that he's going to be ready for the season and he's ready to go. 
Um, and I'm inclined to, to believe that, but I'm definitely going to be watching out for, for his injury history. And I wouldn't be surprised if this hamstring thing pops up again. Uh, the research has shown ranges vary, but with hamstring strains, the recurrent, uh, Recurrence rates is somewhere between 40 to 50%. So that's fairly high, but there's a lot that goes into hamstring strains. It's common for scar tissue to build up in that area. There's some research about neurodynamics and, and things like that that go into preventing uh, those injuries. If he stays healthy, um, I wouldn't be shocked either, but it's something that I think could pop up and and like I said, based on his past past injury history, I I wouldn't be shocked if it if it pops up again. He's he's had a couple of these that in in recent years. On to the next one here, Dom FFL. Yes, where does Rondell Moore fall in your 2020 rankings now that he is an opt out? Oh boy. Dom is hitting me below the belt a little bit. If you guys don't know, uh, I'm a Purdue University graduate. I'm a big Boilermaker fan, a big Boilermaker football fan. So the fact that Rondell Moore opted out before the Big Ten actually uh, pushed their season back in the fall was, was a big was a big blow for for me. That one that one hurt a little bit, Dom. But yeah, um, in terms of Rondell Moore, he's still my wide receiver run and I'm biased probably I don't really care uh I love watching this guy I knew from the very get-go first game I saw him play that he was going to be special and the reason that I, I really like Rondell Moore and if I'm just putting my Purdue bias aside I've talked about this a little bit just in terms of my profession as a physical therapist and watching how different athletes move and just respecting uh, different body types and things like that. There's, I'm seeing to notice this trend with a certain kind of wide receiver, these kind of yoked up running back built like a boulder wide receivers. I'm talking about guys like DJ Moore, AJ Brown recently, Debo Samuel, Jalen Rager in this past classical Visca Chenault in, in uh, this class as well. I think Rondell Moore, is a mini version of those guys, which has got me really excited. So I know there's some good guys in, in the 2020 class. You got Mar Chase, Rashad Bateman, um, Wallace out of Oklahoma State. But Rondell Moore is, is different to me. And if you guys want to go look at some Rondell Moore highlights, the Ohio State game, that is a, that's all Rondell Moore highlights. And he is, like I said, with some of those bigger guys, those yak wide receivers, if you watch that game against defenders from Ohio State that are were first, second, or third round picks later on, he's breaking tackles. He's running through guys. He's just he's just a different specimen of an athlete. You, there's videos of him on Twitter. You can watch him squatting over 600 pounds. And if you don't know Rondell Moore's build, he's like five eight on a good day. Um, he's not the biggest guy, but he's he's thick. He's sturdy. Um, he I think it's also pretty interesting the the play that he got injured on last year I was for certain that he tore his ACL um, the fact that he didn't I think is a, a testament to just how much of a freak athlete he is how big his quads are how you know meaty his hamstrings are it I 
I threw my phone when it happened. I told my fiance, I said, that's it. He just tore his ACL. He's done for the year. But the fact that he didn't is, is freakish and I think isn't talked about enough. So, um, yeah, Rondell Moore, wide receiver one. Next question I got here is from Sam. Sam writes, a year ago, Gurley's knee and his expected limited snap count was all the talk. He played 15 games, was fifth among, among running backs in team snap percentage, and managed a solid finish at RB14 in PPR, despite poor O-line play, O-line play. Do you expect his health to hold up in Atlanta, or should we plan on his knee bothering him more? He also writes, are there any specific injuries do you see a player suffer that makes you avoid them, like the plague in the future? Or on the other hand, are there, are there any that are seen as bad, but you don't think will affect them in their future play? Okay, we got a lot going on there, Sam. So I'll start with the first part about Todd Gurley. And I just talked about this on, on Twitter today about Todd Gurley. So if we're going back a year ago, Gurley's knee um, resulted towards the end of the season uh, him having a, a limited uh, snap count. And I'm trying to think what year that was. It was towards the end of 2018. He had knee discomfort. He sat out weeks 16 or 17, which for most fantasy football leagues, week 16 is a fantasy football championship. So if you had him on your team, that was a big ouchie. Um, in 2019, he had uh, some quadriceps strain, which I think is related to some of the knee issues that he's developed over time. And then the big thing for me was this year, this offseason in 2020, the Rams have a really good medical staff. Like I've talked about this before. I, I follow a couple of their guys on, on their medical staff just because they're really good. The fact that the way they were able to get Kate, uh, Cooper Cup back so quickly and ready to go in 2019, I thought was super impressive and something I wasn't really anticipating. So they've got a really good medical staff there in Los Angeles. And they had a firsthand look at him behind the scenes. And I'm sure they had this meeting with management, but they ultimately decided to let Gurley just flat out walk. And he took, that was a huge hit to their cap. So for the team that was looking at him behind the scenes, for them to basically check out and say, you know what, we're good. We're going to let you walk despite what you're going to cost us in the cap. I thought was, was everything I needed to know. There's some issues there. And I don't know when Todd Gurley is going to have, you know, if he, when he falls off, it might not be this year. It might not, but I think the writing's on the wall. There's enough of a concern and I'm starting to see a pattern with him reading in between the lines that I think there's something going on. And we just had a report come out today that the Falcons are limiting his workload. Now that's not a big deal for the off season because he's a veteran and they want him to be fresh, but look at Todd Gurley's deal with the Falcons. It's very, you know, front heavy in terms of payment. It's he's not the way that they signed him to that deal. It's not designed to be a long-term deal. So I think they have every incentive to essentially run him into the ground. Now people can disagree with that. And I've talked to some different people that have a different opinion of that, um, which I respect. And I think is fair, but in, in, from my point of view, I don't know why you would pay all that money to Todd Gurley and have it be front heavy not to use him this year. Why you would, so the argument is that they're going to manage his workload. Well, if they're going to manage his workload, you're not going to get the Todd Gurley that you're expecting to get. You could see him lose goal line touches to Brian Hill or, 
you know, PPR or third down work in PPR leagues to Edo Smith. So you're not going to be happy with that either. So I've got enough concerns about Todd Gurley that I would be willing to take him in the third or fourth round of, you know, redraft fantasy leagues, but he's not going there. So he's going in the second round and I, there's enough guys are going around him that I, I would rather pivot and go in a different direction. So your second question here, we're talking about specific injuries. I think context is any, everything with that. So these are very vague, but recurrent soft tissue injuries, um, a player with a concussion history, multiple concussions, you know, stuff that everyone kind of knows about. Um, recurrent ACL tears are never good. I, I specifically try to avoid players the year after their ACL repair, just because I think there's a lot that goes on biomechanically at the knee. Um, you see a lot of hamstring strains the year after an ACL repair, and that's because the biomechanics of the knee have been altered. So those are some things that I look I look for when I'm talking about, you know, maybe players I'm avoiding, but I, I would need to know more of the context about the specific player. That's not just a, a, a straight rule that I wouldn't necessarily follow. All right. Next question from Moncal. An NCAA study found an increased rate of ACL and PCL injuries, and an NFL study found an increase in occurrence in ACL eversion ankle sprains on artificial turf. Do you think field turf is enough of a factor, factor to sway your opinion on specific players? Particular in particular, players with previous related injuries who are scheduled to play frequently on artificial turf this year. That was a very well-researched question there, Mon, uh, Mon Cal. I think it, it's smart, and there, and there definitely is evidence. I've seen some of that evidence that talks about artificial turf. It's somewhat controversial, I think, in, in some instances, and can be weighed on a little bit too heavily. Um, I don't think it's as cut and dry as have artificial turf, you're more likely to sprain your ankle or tear, tear your ACL. Um, if you've, if any of you guys have watched uh, Last Chance You on Netflix, there's a lot of research that goes into to artificial turf. So I think it was either second or third season, um, Independence, they got an artificial turf from the Baltimore Ravens because it wasn't cut, it was cut too thin. Okay, and they wanted a specific thickness. I think it was like a half a centimeter or a quarter a centimeter off. There's a ton of research that goes into artificial turf. So the, these teams are aware of these studies. They're researching the thickness, obviously, um, the type and things like that. I'm not going to fade a player if he's had an ACL tear like a Todd Gurley um, who's playing on turf in Atlanta. It's an interesting point, but it's it's. I don't think it's significant enough to cause you, um, you myself or anybody to, to avoid that player. All right, moving along here. Next question, Gurnals. Evan Ingram, yay or snag or nah? Okay. Uh, he had a bad Liz Frank issue, which might make players hesitant to grab him. And then he also wrote, we know that Corey Davis had a lingering turf toe issue last year. He's not a fantastic player, 
do you see him doing, but how do you see him doing this year post-surgery? So let's talk about Evan Ingram first there, because I think that's a good question. I've talked a lot about uh, Evan Ingram and, and his injury history in terms of the, the list, Frank. Um, I'm avoiding Evan Ingram. I don't think you're, we're going to get the, the Evan Ingram that um, we, we were used to seeing in terms of, a, of an explosive tight end. Research that I've looked at is after a Liz Frank surgery, players have a, about a decrease uh, around 21% of their normal football production. Okay. So if we're looking at Evan Ingram, and it also gives you, the research also shows you, um, and things that I've looked at, what's the likelihood that player plays a full slate of games. So I, from looking at Evan Ingram, I think there's about a 30% chance that he plays all 16 games, which he's, I don't think he's ever done in his career, if I'm, uh, if I'm correct there. I have him around a 40% chance that he plays somewhere between um, 14 games. I think it's more likely that he plays somewhere around 12 to 13 games okay so if you're drafting a tight end and you already know that there's you know a 90 percent chance that he's he's only going to be playing around 12 to 13 games that's going to diminish it as well and then if we just look over his career at his fantasy football production and take away 21 percent of that roughly based on the research data for Liz frank injuries i think you're looking at him scoring under 10 ppr points per game which we look at the past three seasons for tight ends, that's going to put him around tight end 11 to 16. Not bad, but it's not why you're drafting Evan Ingram, especially investing a high draft capital in him. So for those reasons, I'm more likely to pivot to another player. I've drafted Evan Ingram in some best ball leagues and things like that, but it came at a significant discount. And I had, you know, it depends on roster construction. So I, I'm not saying avoid him. He might play all 16 games. He might really shock us, but the research is against him. And it's enough of a reason to fade him at his current ADP. Um, regards to Corey Davis with the turf toe, I mean, it's certainly not a good thing. Um, potential injury for him based on his struggles. I wasn't really drafting Corey Davis. And when you pile on an injury, that could be limiting him more than his skills have really been limiting him it's it's enough for uh, i i'm not drafting him i think he's kind of undraftable i mean he's worth a dart throw you can get him for cheap with your last pick or but why not just wait on the he's going to be on the waiver wire why not just wait and, and see what he does and pick him up if he, if he has a good yeah, gets off to a good start okay john i think that's snow i'm sorry if i messed your guys names up i apologize right how much of Alvin Kamara's underwhelming season last year do you attribute to him being banged up? He seemed like a completely different player than the previous two years. And he also writes, would you, would you consider sportsinjurypredictor.com a reliable source for info? I ask because AJG, who is younger, I'm assuming that's Antonio Gandy-Golden, 
pit yet. Uh, maybe who is younger and has suffered less frequent and less severe injuries than Emmanuel Sanders is given a much higher injury risk than Sanders who suffered eight pedal injuries alone. Okay. So let's talk about the Alvin Kamara stuff first, because I think that's important. Um, Alvin Kamara had a lot, a lot of different injuries going on. Um, he had, it sounds like he had some knee issues. It sounds like he had some back issues. Um, oh, AJ Green. Thank you. Space so it goes for us. Yeah, I just saw that. Okay, so not uh, AJ Green compared to Emmanuel Sanders. Okay. So when we're talking about Alvin Kamara, he had a couple of different injuries last year. One that I focused in on from looking at, because I've seen a lot of this stuff in running back specifically, is high ankle sprains. My data, my sample size is a little bit limited, but I've pulled over the you know last couple, I think five to seven years of looking at high ankle sprain, sprains in running backs. And on average, when those running backs return, they average 3.2 less points per game, standard deviation of around six, so somewhere between three to nine points less per game than when they had when they were playing healthy which doesn't sound like a lot, but if a guy is, even if it's three points, but guys averaging less than three less points per game, that drops him. That's enough to drop him from an RB one are averaging, you know, 18 points a game down to an RB two, maybe averaging 10 to 12 points per game. So it's significant. And Kamara saw that dip last year. His wasn't as significant, but I think around, Two points per game less after he returned after the, the high ankle sprain. You compile that with now the knee issues that we, he was talking about and potentially some back, ish, back issues. So, yeah, I think it had a lot to do with Alvin Kamara's underwhelming season. I think he's not really a discount. He's still a first-round pick, but I'm not fading him because he underperformed last year. I think making that context matters a lot, so that's, that's uh, pretty astute of you to pick that up. And for your next question, okay, so when we're talking about sportsinjurypredictor.com, I can't really speak to the – I know they give out values for how uh, um, how much of an injury risk a player is. And I can't speak to where those specific values come from. I don't know if it's player-specific. They're just looking at injury history and saying based on how many guy, games this guy's played in the past, this is how many games we're going to project him to play in the future, or if they're looking at a larger data set and saying, you know, of a wide receiver that's this age and has had these type of injuries based to a, a healthy population, they play X amount of games fewer. Um, so I, I don't really know um, where they're getting that stuff from, but I think it's a reliable source. Their, their injuries are, are pretty accurate. Um, Sometimes I've looked at some of their lists in the past. And it's not an exhaustive list of all their injuries. Sometimes there's some, some stuff me missing from there. Um, but I think you can look at it. So I don't know where their values come from. I think I would also take that with a grain of salt. It shouldn't be the end-all be-all, but they, they obviously have some research and some science that's going into why um, they're saying that a player will miss a certain amount of games. So um think that's it, it, it's useful for sure all righty next question here from the og space ghost force hey, i want to give a big shout out again to space ghost force for having me on here really appreciate it 
He says, at what point do we need to consider Cook's and Will Fuller's concussion history a deal breaker for drafting them? So I think a lot of that has to do with how you've constructed your team. I talked about Brandon Cooks a lot. Um, I wrote an article about his concussion history on the Undroppables website, theundroppables.com. I want to give a big shout out to those guys. Uh, I appreciate being a part of their team and, and Chalk for setting everything up. we got a new website. If you guys haven't seen that, definitely check that out. Had to get that plug in there. But getting back to Brandon Cooks, I think my fear for Cooks is that his next concussion could result or he could potentially walk away. The research has shown that if you've suffered more than three concussions in a close period of time, like Brandon Cooks has, that you're three times more likely to suffer another concussion. Looking back through 2017, the average concussion rate for just a healthy player is around 8%. Okay. So if we know that Brandon Cooks now has had, I think, five, if I remember correctly, in recent years, then you're looking at a player that's at a 24 to 25% chance of suffering a concussion. And we know that he's had some serious issues, so much so that he had to go to a specialist in Pittsburgh to get some help with his concussions. He's had a higher likelihood of getting concussions. The next one could be potentially serious and cause him to miss some, some you know, multiple weeks or, you know, who's to say for his quality health, he just says, this isn't for me, I'm, I'm, I'm over this. So I'm more worried about Brandon Cooks for sure. Fuller, I think you've got to bake, it's pretty much baked into his ADP at this point. You know that he's going to miss some games for some hamstring issues. And he recently just came out and said that he's been working on a lot of stuff, um, posturing, I think if I remember reading it, he even talked about neurodynamics. I don't want to get too nerdy into some of that, but there, that, that's important for hamstring strains. There's a lot that goes on with those hamstring strains in terms of the scar tissue that can just build up in that muscle belly, deteriorate the muscle, put some pressure on the nerves that pass through those muscles, increase the likelihood of, of having those injuries. For me, last year, he was a fade because he was coming off that ACL tear. And I talked about how I, you know, hamstring strains are common the year after an ACL tear. Will Fuller has had problems with, you know, injuring his, uh, his hamstring before then. He has an ACL tear. Go figure. He has an, another hamstring injury that causes him to miss time. I think he's when he plays, he's, he's great. And he has a lesser target competition this year around. Even if Brandon Cooks is healthy, he's no DeAndre Hopkins. So I'm more inclined to draft Will Fuller than I am uh, Brandon Cooks. But I also think that it's a need to consider um, Randall Cobb. I was considering Kenny Stills uh, because I think that he would fall into that Will Fuller role uh, more naturally. But there's reports that Kenny Stills is out of shape reporting to camp. So Randall Cobb could be a screaming value late in drafts because there's a possibility um, Week eight or nine, he's the only healthy wide receiver on the team. All righty, moving along. On Callaghan, he asked, have you been able to identify the exact hit that birthed the legend we know as Mr. Unlimited? 
I think you're talking about Russell Wilson. I had to ask some of the guys here who Mr. Unlimited was. I must have been living under a rock or something because I didn't know who that was at first. But I think we're talking about Russell Wilson, so I'm going to run with that. Um, yeah, okay, I just got confirmation we were talking about Russell Wilson here. Okay, so I don't know the exact hit. Um, it sounds like he's got some strange behavior going on, but I think what is interesting about Russell Wilson is I've been looking at mobile quarterbacks, specifically, you know, the Konami code type quarterbacks that run a lot, um, from last year with about 40 or 50 rushes or more. And Russell Wilson was one of the first quarterbacks that I looked at. And his hit rate on some of his runs was actually pretty low compared to some other quarterbacks. It was around 62%, which I know seems high, but honestly, when looking at some of the other guys, they take bigger hits um, and more frequent hits. So that I found that a little bit surprising. He seems to get out of bounds or slide a lot. I will say on some of those hits, and this is subjective, and I'll talk about this. This is this is kind of behind the scenes stuff that I'm giving you guys here because this is a little project that I've been working on for a little bit, just looking at quarterback durability for the running quarterbacks. But on some of his runs, he seemed to take bigger hits, and I, you know, quantify that uh, as a if he's you know leveled, he has a hit to the head, somebody lands with their full amount of weight on him. His uh, big hit rate was around 14.5%. So a lot of this data is preliminary, but when I compared him to other quarterbacks, he was actually one of the more safer options. Him and Kyler Murray compared to guys like Carson Wentz and Josh Allen. I'm still working on Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's kind of been a haul because that dude ran it like 175 times last, last year. So I'm not done with his data, but Russell Wilson is actually one of the, the safer quarterbacks, despite, I guess he took a big hit and now he, He's acting a little strange and calling himself Mr. Unlimited or, or whatnot. All right, moving on here. Roderick Moore. Is it fair to say that players who suffer a significant ankle injury will be more hobbled the rest of the season, even if they start playing again? Example, Nikhil Harry. So I haven't looked at it specifically in wide receivers but i talked about this a little bit with the high ankle sprain in terms of alvin Kamara. so i think yeah there is data to suggest that these high uh, these ankle sprains that i know i was looking specifically at high ankle sprains but any ankle sprains those players come back especially explosive players and skill position players like running back and wide receiver um average fewer points per game i haven't looked at wide receivers um, i'm sure that played a factor in Nikhil harry's progression New England seems like they have a pretty strict standard in terms of what they expect from players, uh, even in their rookie years. I mean, Damian Harris hardly saw the field last year for, for some odd reason, even though he, he was pretty good at Alabama. So I think there is data. I don't have the specific numbers. I haven't looked at wide receivers specifically, but um, certainly could factor into, into Nikhil Harry um, and, and other players as well. Space Ghost Force again writes, Sony Michelle currently on the PUP. Would you consider him a viable fantasy asset or is his injury history a yikes for drafting him on your team? So 
I talked a little bit. This is a nice segue here for the New England New England backfield. Um, yeah, Sonny Michelle is a yikes for me. It seems like every offseason he's got to have a, a surgery or something to, to correct. So this may be one of those – I've gotten some questions earlier about, you know, other specific players or situations you avoid. This might be one of those situations. It sounds like Sonny Michelle's got some, some issues going on where he's suffering multiple, you know, ligament and soft tissue injuries and it's becoming a history. There, there might just be – you know, he might just be a player that's more predisposed to, to those type of injuries. Um, I'm pretty much done with Sony. I mean – during this whole quarantine thing, there hasn't been a lot of stuff on television, certainly not a lot of sports until the NBA bubble and MLB got, got growing. But I was, you know, bored and watching some stuff on ESPN. And one of the things that I watched was, you know, Sonny Michelle from a couple of years back in the college football playoffs and national championship. He looked like a different player than the Sonny Michelle that, you know, I've seen the last two years in the NFL, specifically last year. He's just, he doesn't look like the same player. He doesn't look nearly as explosive. I'm wondering if some of those injuries are, are lingering and, and causing some issues. Um, I got into a debate with somebody recently on Twitter about Damien Harris, and I thought that he would be a value, and that was pre-Lamar Miller signing. That wasn't really the point. The point was is I'm dating Sonny Michelle, so I don't care what running back. You know, Damien Harris in the 12th round, James White in the 7th round, I don't really know what Lamar Miller's ADP is at this point since uh, his news is fairly recent, but all those guys are worth a dart throw. I'm just going to take the one that's the latest and it might be Lamar Miller. Or it might be Damian Harris, depending on how I construct my team. But I think those guys are values and they, they cost the cheapest. Clearly James White is the most established among that backfield. But he has the highest price tag. Um, and he seems to be more of a third down back as opposed to between the tackles grinder type back. Someone like a Damian Harris or maybe even a Lamar Miller could could uh, fill in for Sonny Michelle. So those are guys that, I, that I'm certainly looking at. Space Ghost Force also writes, Jarvis Landry, the epitome of a wide receiver two last year with his hip injury. Do you see him fall from his usual form or can we trust him return to his former self? So Jarvis Landry, I mean, it wasn't spectacular, but he certainly had a, a good year last year. Um, I'm not fading Jarvis Landry because of his hip. Um, I'm not worried about that. He's a freak. He's he's a special player. He knows how to get open. This is off topic from injury stuff, but I, I wrote an article a couple months back for the fantasy champions just because I was looking at snap counts and things like that and coaching changes. And I think something that's interesting when looking at Jarvis Landry is what the scheme fit will be with Kevin Stefanski. So over his entire career, all the fantasy points that Jarvis Landry has gotten, 63% of them have come when he's lined up in the slot. And that's significant because it seems like Kevin Stefanski, from what he's used in Minnesota and what we anticipate him to use in Cleveland, is he likes to use a lot of heavy 12 personnel, two tight ends. That's why they, you know, uh, went out and signed Austin Hooper and paid him a lot of money. It's why they're insistent on keeping David and Joku. They want to play a tight bunch formation and not let you necessarily know what they're going to do on any individual play, run or pass. So, that's significant because Adam Thielen had some injuries last year, but his slot, uh, slot 
SNAP percentage dropped from 46.7% in 2018 to 29% in 2019. So if we're kind of forecasting that for Jarvis Landry, we know that the majority of his fantasy football points come when he's lined up in the slot, 63% to be exact. If he doesn't, is that going to have an effect on him? It could. Um, he's a good enough player that he could certainly rise above it, but that would be something that I would be monitoring is, is he lining up more outside, not necessarily his, his hip injury, because he kind of persevered through that. And, you know, if he had a little bit of a dip in his production, I think it's fair to attribute that to his hip injury, but he seemed to, to push through that. And not a lot of, I certainly didn't know he had it during the season. It was more that we found out about it uh, during the off season. All right. Dom FFL writes in again. I don't know if I want to answer his question after he maybe talk about my boy Rondell Moore, but I'll do it, I guess, for you, Dom. Um, any weight into the old college tread running back or argument for running back? So I'm assuming basically running backs that are older and have more snaps. Is there anything that goes into uh, and being more at risk for injury or sooner fall off. I haven't seen anything like that. If anything, it might be the opposite of that. Um, this is also a side project that, that I'm looking on, but specifically running backs in power five conferences that have a higher workload, I think specifically in the short term are more durable, less likely to get injured. So I don't think there's anything to that anyway, at least on some of the preliminary stuff that I've looked at and I've seen other people talk about, you could even make the argument that it's more of the opposite. All right, we got a really good question here. Blake Hampton, my old buddy, Blake. Right. Who is your number one kicker this year? And would you stack kicker and defense? All right. Well, for kickers, I like to use the name model, which is essentially they have a fun name. I draft them. So I like Harrison Buckner just because it's fun to say. Um, so he would probably be my number one kicker this year based on that model. And then stacking kicker and defenses, I think that's pretty much straightforward. I mean, if you're not stacking kickers and defenses, you're not even – you're trying to lose. You're not even trying. So I'm disappointed, Blake, because I thought you would have known better. You always stack kicker and defenses. Everybody knows that, man. All right. Getting back to some injury talk here. I've got Moncal again. We see a lot of players get the label of, injury prone regardless of the type of injuries they've received are there any injuries in particular that cause a higher risk of injury later on are there any injuries you don't worry about recurring in the future i think we kind of talked about that i mean that that's pretty much that's a fair point because that's a question i get a lot about um in terms of injury prone and you know are players injury prone or what injuries are the worst it's a lot of context. We talked about, you know, the recurrent hamstring, soft tissue injuries are something. Um, concussions are a big one. Um, ACL, you know, multiple ones like that. So those would be more of those, you know, the injury prone label. It's a hot debate. I mean, 
could I could probably get on my soapbox here for an hour and just talk about that in, in different phases. I know a lot of people have voices out there saying there aren't players that are injury prone, and I agree with that for the most part. I think there are some players that are just for whatever reason, anatomy, genetics are built a little bit differently and for some reason are subject to more soft tissue injuries. Tyler Eifert, seems like Sony Michelle. Um, it's too early to tell. This year will be very telling. For whatever reason, James Conner. And I know it's a hot button topic, but James Conner seems to be like one of those players that he's just had, you know, multiple injuries over multiple parts of his body that start to, to add up and affect him in, in some way. So there, I think there is something to that. But by the time we find out, it's usually too late because you, you need enough data before you're going to slap that, that label on somebody. All right, I got a question from Chalk here. I got to answer that. He's technically my boss and I'm a company man. So thoughts on Rashad Penny and chances of contributing to fantasy football teams in 2020. Will he need a full year to be ex as explosive as before? And he also wrote, follow, following up on the Gurley questions above, will the turf in the Atlanta Dome affect Gurley's knees at all? research so i'll just answer the girly one because we talked a lot about that turf and official turf there's research that suggests it i think if you're making the argument against girly it's good to pile that on there saying and there's this seems to be a lot of things working against girly if i had to prioritize them this would be at the very bottom of the list in terms of the turf like i said there's research that shows it moncal brought up those studies that that talked about it so it, it's out there but again, priority-wise, not super high. Talking about Rashad Penny, though. So, contributing for fantasy football teams. Okay. We all saw, or, you know, a lot of us saw the workout videos, the Instagram videos that seem to be all the rave this offseason from players coming back from injuries. So Rashad Penny, I think when we saw those videos of him doing the agility ladder, that's exactly where I would expect him to be. There's research out there that shows that if a player comes back nine months, sooner than nine months after an ACL tear, his chances of re-injuring or having another injury go uh, increase by seven, sevenfold. That's a lot. All, and then the research also shows that your injury risk was significantly lower if you return nine months after an ACL injury. The average of those players and those athletes that returned nine months after was about 11 months. Okay. Rashad Penny, again, I have to clarify this. Assuming the season starts on time, Rashad Penny is going to be literally right at that nine-month mark for his ACL tear. Seahawks medical staff, they're a lot smarter than me. They know this. They know what they're dealing at with Rashad Penny. I think you need to look at what they did. And back in June, they went and signed Carlos Hyde, which to me is a flare shooting off in the sky signaling saying, hey, we're not going to rush Rashad Penny. We invested a first-round draft capital on Rashad Penny. That's becoming a rarity. Teams don't do that. We need to see what we've got in this guy before we make a deal one way or the other because Chris Carson's about to be a free agent. We need to see, is Rashad Penny our dude or is he not? Let's make sure he's 100% healthy. I think he's going to start on the PUP. And I think they're going to give him every opportunity to come back as healthy as he can before they put him out there. So will he need a full year to be as explosive before? Probably. But I think he could contribute in 2020. 
it's just going to be later in the season. And I think he has potential. And I use this carefully because people say this a lot on Twitter. I think Rashad Penny has potential to be a league winner because I think there's a chance around week 12, 13, 14 that he's going to be sitting on waiver wires and you can pick him up because he might be picking up a full head of steam by that point and, and really getting it going. I think Seattle takes it easy with him. So I wouldn't hold my breath for the beginning of the year. At my level, right, do you think J.K. Dobbins will be have an impactful rookie season? We know the talent is there, but obviously Mark Ingram is there. How do you feel about him this upcoming season? So for J.K. Dobbins, you know, talking about durability and everything like that, besides suspension, Mark Ingram has been one of the most durable running backs in the NFL. I, you, you'll be hard-pressed to find an issue in terms of Mark Ingram's resume in terms of playing time. Now, he had that suspension for, I, I, I'm assuming, you know, using steroids or some type of illegal substances, if I remember correctly. But Mark Ingram's solid. He's dirty, sturdy. I don't think he's going anywhere. So unless he does get injured, I don't know how impactful J.K. Dobbins is going to have. Everyone likes J.K. Dobbins. I like J.K. Dobbins. Clear the Ravens like J.K. Dobbins. But I think they probably cannibalize each other this year because I don't see Mark Ingram going anywhere, especially if he's giving up you know, 20, 25% of his snaps to J.K. Dobbins, he's he's, sturdy, he's been sturdy and durable. He's not going to go anywhere if he's getting a lesser workload. Not my level also writes, do you, how do you feel on Jalen Rager? A lot of positive things. Well, yes, he has a ton of competition his rookie season. They're all injury prone in a way. You see him being a high-level wide receiver too. We know Philly wants to throw the ball and Wentz is, and Wentz is a – is great at doing that. Yeah. So I talk about Jalen Rager in terms of those yak bulked up wide receivers that I, that I like, and he's one of those guys. And I talked about Evan Ingram in terms of Liz Frank injury. Alshon Jeffrey has that exact, exact same injury. And Alshon Jeffrey is like six years older than Evan Ingram. So any concerns I have over an Evan Ingram, you can multiply those tenfold for Alshon Jeffrey. I don't think we're going to see a lot of Alshon Jeffrey this year. And Deshaun Jackson's had some some issues. But even if Jalen Rager can slot into the Alshon Jeffrey role, uh, yeah, he's going to – I think he's going to have a big year. My two – everyone's worried about how COVID's going to affect the offseason or whatnot. My two favorite rookie wide receivers, just based on body type, are Jalen Rager and LaVisca Chenault because I think those guys don't need a significant elaborate route tree. You can run bubble screens for them. You can run slants for them and just get the ball in their hands and let them do the rest. Jalen Rager is that type. LaVisca Chanel is that type. So I think Jalen Rager is, if I'm drafting a rookie wide receiver in redraft league, it's going to be Jalen Rager. Dart writes, does Lamar Jackson's run frequency concern you as far as injuries go? So I kind of talked about this. That's a project I'm working on. Tart, I will have more information for you. You're definitely going to want to follow the Undroppables on Instagram, Twitter, check their website, do whatever you can, um, because I'm going to have more information on that in terms of is he getting hit a lot? How is he compared to players like Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray? So I will answer that in the future for you, my friend. Just uh, tune in, and uh, we'll, we'll get that content out there. Marcus Combe, I think that's right, says, does the Giants' weapon injury history turn you on or off to any specific member? Uh, yeah, Golden Tate, I think, because of Evan Ingram operating as a tight end in the middle of the field. If he's not healthy, I think a lot of those targets could go to Golden Tate. 
Brandon Shepard has a pretty extensive concussion history and has struggled, you know, with health uh, as well. So for me, I mean, I, I was kind of surprised that there's a lot of hype around Darius Slayton this off season. So I don't know if he um, is a value. I know specifically Golden Tate is. Golden Tate's pretty much slept on and everyone thinks he's dust, but um, he's a pretty good slot wide receiver and he operates, you know, well in the, in the middle of field. And he's, he's actually, you know, he's not as big as some of those guys, but he, I think even last year had a lot of yards after the catch. So if Evan Ingram goes, goes down, I think Golden Tate's the one that could uh, benefit from that the most. Sorry. All right. Space Ghost Force. Is there any chance Alex Smith could return, or is he beyond the realm of saving? Uh, I like that story about Alex Smith. This is uncharted territory. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean... It's it's been a long journey thus far, and you know, I don't think so. It, that that was a pretty significant injury, and if you watch the E60 on him, he had a nasty infection. I mean, th there's a lot of complex things that are going on there, even above my pay grade. Um, that I think getting back to football would be would be modest. This goes Force also writes the curious case of James Connor. Any idea to what sort of risk we can associate with him? Or would you consider him a bounce-back candidate this season? Given his injury history plus ADP values, where do you draft Hunter Henry? Okay, so we got a couple things there with James Conner and Hunter Henry. I talked about James Conner potentially being kind of one of those injury-prone players. I think, you know, I don't want to comment on it too much because I don't have any information behind the scenes. I think there's something with James Conner that predisposes him to injury. And then this isn't objective at all. This is very subjective. But when you watch James Conner play, in my opinion, he kind of seems like he's a running back that opens himself up for big hits. Sometimes he's kind of rumbling and stumbling through the hole and he's not as agile as, agile as some of, uh, you know, a, a Dalvin Cook type running back. Um, so that's another thing that could be weighing against him. I'm nitpicking here. You could find 10 reasons why to like James Conner. You could find 10 reasons not to like him. He's a running back. And he plays on a team that usually typically uses one running back. I think the Steelers are a little bit concerned. They, they've invested, especially as of late, some draft capital in some running backs. Benny Snell, uh, Anthony McFarland this year. So he could be a bounce back candidate, but and if I'm drafting him, I'm definitely making prep. I'm drafting a robust start running back team. I'm getting some running backs on my bench because there's a chance that, that he could uh, miss some time. Given his injury history plus ADP value, would you draft Hunter Henry? Absolutely. Um, he came really, really back, really, really fast. I came back fast from that tibial plateau fracture he suffered last year, a lot faster than I anticipated. Um, he seems good to be go good to go. It'd be interesting to see if we could get any footage behind the scenes, uh, hard knocks. But when he came back last year, he was fine. He was good. So um, I'm not worried about Hunter Henry. Journals, right? Where did I go? Okay, here we are. The workhorse parable. RBs like Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Zeke, Melvin Gordon III are projected 
get super high volumes of carries, which one of those do you think goes down first and why? That is a loaded question. I'm not going to pick any of them because I don't know. I think the reason those guys have super high work volumes is because they can sustain it and they're built a certain way. And that's why teams pay those guys a lot of money. That's why, you know, Derrick Henry got a lot of money this offseason and Zeke a couple of years back. And Melvin Gordon should have taken the money from that the Chargers were offering him and run, but he, he got paid somewhat in Denver. Um, it's a, It would be a freak thing. There's nothing in their profiles that – know say they're they're more injury prone than that melvin gordon has got nicked up here and there um but uh i don't i don't think that there's anyone there the which handcuff is the best to take since girly knees are weaker than a house of cards in a hurricane girls rights as well so i i tried to figure that out myself um i don't bought into the Brian Hill hype last year. That was an epic fail. Um, Ito Smith, I've never really been impressed with him. He seems to be a better receiving back. One that's more intriguing to me is Quadri Olison. Um, I was talking, or I, I wasn't talking to him. I don't know him personally, but I was messaging with uh, Rich Rebar on Twitter because he was talking about it some similar stuff this morning like myself and I kind of asked him I said well what about Quadri Olson and he said he was more of a touchdown dependent running back so what that tells me is it's potentially none of them uh, running back if Gurley goes down might not even be on the team there might be a De- Devonta Freeman homecoming if, if that happens I wouldn't rule that out I'm not reaching for any of those running backs in deep leagues I would probably stash Olson or Ito Smith Ito Smith in a PPR league Olson just from a pure upside standpoint because we haven't seen him play All right, guys, so I'm going to answer a couple more questions here just so we're efficient on time. I'll go through here. Um, Let's see. Scrolling away up here. This is an interesting question. Groundfish said, do you feel like Mark Andrews carries an increased risk because he's a diabetic amongst the COVID-19 pandemic? Enough to fade him at his current ADP. If that dude is playing, then I'm not going to fade him at his current ADP. You don't know what's going to happen with COVID. I think he is at that increased risk because that is a, a, a comorbidity for sure. And I tweeted about this. The British Journal of Sports Medicine talked about, you know, return to play protocols, what they suggested uh, for players. And they also talked about players with comorbidities uh, potentially having an increased timeline. So your their their suggestion was three to four weeks if you get a positive result before you return to sport. You know, we don't know enough about COVID. We don't know what it does. There's obviously side effects and and stuff that's popped up in young people with Mark with Mark Andrews being a diabetic, kind of cardiovascular issues for sure. But there's a chance he never gets it. So I'm not going to fade him as current ADP for that reason. I'd probably fade him for other reasons because I don't draft tight ends that high, but uh, I wouldn't fade him for that reason. Um, let me see here. We haven't gotten this one. Sam writes, Cam shoulder, three surgeries and as many years or something like that, and then the foot. What are the chances he plays 16 games and is effective enough to lead New England to the playoffs? This is a really good question. Um, I'm more worried about Cam's shoulder just because, like you said, there's there's been multiple injury history there um, and some things going on. 
I tweeted about it. There's a long thread. If you're interested in reading about it, you can go to my Twitter page and look up, you know, type my Twitter handle in parentheses and Cam Newton and it'll, it'll come up. And some, some other players, uh, some other guys from the Undroppables have wrote, written about Cam Newton and, and that thread in their, in their offseason breakdown of the New England Patriots. But it'll be interesting because I think for Cam, it's going to be like a durability thing, a workload thing. I would like to see the Patriots, you know, rely on their defense, even though they lost a lot of players that opted out because of COVID. Rely on their defense and run the ball a lot and use Cam Newton um, sparingly because I think his shoulder has shown signs of breaking down. And I've got a couple of interesting video clips in there that you can look at. You know, healthy Cam Newton flick of the wrist and the ball flies 50 yards on the field on a dime um and then there's cam newton where he's a really labored struggling throwing motion he's under throwing guys so those would be things that i'd be looking at for cam newton if i have him. but i think he's a good value i think he's a good quarterback i'd take a shot on him um with the foot issues i don't know how much he'll be running he's healthy from it and they should use him but um, he's he's been certainly nicked up enough that I think they're going to want to try to preserve him as, as best as they possibly can. Um, ooh, okay. I'm going to answer two more here, but, and I know I've answered a couple of his, uh, but I'm going to go back to Gurnals here because he got me with the Boilermaker hype. He knows me. Um, he says, not exactly a medical-related question, but what do you think of Bryson Hopkins since you're a Boilermakers fan? I like Bryson Hopkins. He struggled with drops last year. player that I compare Bryson Hopkins to is Dawson Knox, and for a couple reasons. I think they're similar skill sets, similar body types, similar athletic profiles, okay? And a lot of people like Dawson Knox and Dynasty and advocate for him as a stash. The reason I compare him to Dawson Knox is Dawson Knox flew under the radar in NFL draft. No one knew about him. Well, yeah, duh. He was sharing um, targets with A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf while he was at Ole Miss. So, yeah, he's going to be third in the pecking order when you're playing with those guys. Not the same caliber yet. But I'm telling you, Rondell Moore is a stud, and they've got another guy there that will be coming out in the class of 2022, David Bell, who is a freaking stud. He is the prototypical wide receiver. The guy catches everything. Bryson Hopkins competed with targets with both of these guys, and I think he flew under the radar. He's an athletic tight end. He is a, a poor man's here, a poor man's Travis Kelsey type. He's not a good blocking tight end. I'm not saying he's Travis Kelsey. He's not a good blocking tight end, but he's a good receiving tight end. I'd be interested in him stashing him in dynasty leagues for the next two years because you don't know what's going to happen with uh, Gerald Everett. He and the Rams like to use a lot of two tight end sets because their offensive line is very good. You can see Bryson Hopkins having a, a pretty nice fantasy role. So I like Bryson Hopkins. I'm biased, but I, I just laid out the, the scenario there. He was competing with two bona fide studs in college wide receivers. You will know about Rondell Moore and David Bell on Sundays. I'm telling you that. Um, so Bryson Hopkins, I think, is certainly flying under the radar. Um, last one here. I haven't answered your questions. I haven't seen your name in here. I'm going to butcher it. Ty Ruzi. Ruzi. Um, what is a realistic expectation to assume? 
season, assuming that Lazard is the actual wide receiver two in Green Bay. Okay. Um, so fun fact about me as well. Uh, I'm a Purdue fan, but both my parents went to Iowa State and names Iowa. So I've watched a decent amount of Iowa State football, and that's where I first learned about Alan Lazard. I thought he should have been drafted. He went undrafted. He went undrafted. He ended up in Jacksonville, which I'm a Jacksonville. I live in Jacksonville now. I'm a Chicago native, but I live in Jacksonville. So I actually went to a couple of their practices and things like that and watched a little bit of Alan Lazard. He's He's a big wide receiver. He's a, he's a good player. I think Funchess opting out helps him. Um, Aaron Rodgers seems to be the type of quarterback that if he likes you and he advocates for you, you're going to get the ball. Devontae Adams is the one, no doubt. So I didn't forget it. Um, they've got a couple of good receiving backs. And obviously Aaron Jones and, and Jamal Williams as well is pretty capable in that. But Alan Lazard is the other guy. And I don't know, man. I this is a, again, this is a subjective take. Pissed off Aaron Rodgers. I I want I want a part of that offense. He I think he's upset that the team drafted Jordan Love. I think he's gonna be on a mission. So realistic, Alan Lazard. I mean, I don't know. Ceiling, you know, top thirty wide receiver. I don't think is is unheard of. Um, I think he is an interesting product. Uh, prospect he's a solid guy he doesn't do anything really super spectacular but uh he'll go up and battle for the ball at the catch point he did that a ton at Iowa State I think he had to because he wasn't a great separator but um he can be a sneaky guy he's going to be drawing the the less of the the two DBs when they play off because Devontae Adams is going to get the most attention so uh Alan Lazar could be could be a sneaky guy uh I think he's worth a, a late round flyer flyer for sure um okay guys i think that's that's going to be it um i don't want to take up too much of your guys's time and and have this thing be super long i i want to give again space ghost force shout out for for having me um and this whole team for having me on it, it's been a lot of fun I, I enjoy doing these things um make sure if you're not following me on twitter you, you do so at the real adam underscore h but more importantly, guys, and Droppables team members have been awesome. We're, we got a great crew. We got a podcast, the Unscripted Podcast, some great personalities on there. We've got, you know, editors and graphic designers and, and things like that that are just absolutely killing it. Obviously, the, the front of it, Chalk and, and Term on Twitter, if you're not following those guys. I think what's really nice about the team that we have is, we respond, you know what I mean? Like we're open to having debates and we're op open to, to different opinions and it, it's a good crew or it's a very diverse crew um, and we have a lot of fun. So definitely make sure that you're, you're following the undroppables this season and for all your fantasy football content. Um, can't say, you know, can't say enough nice things about those guys. And again, I want to say thank you to, to Space Ghost Force and all you guys for being here. Uh, I hope you guys had a lot of fun and, and answered some questions. If, you, if I didn't get to your question you want to ask me, just uh, tweet at me, slide in my DM, something. I'll be happy to answer stuff. Thanks, guys.
I thought that you would like that. No, man, I, I had a lot of fun. There was a lot of great questions that everyone was asking. So that, uh, again, I know, I know I've said it a bunch, but really, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, those will be very entertaining shows for sure. <laughs> sure, man. Thanks again. Have a good night.